You're listening to a message from Redeemer Bible Church. We hope you'll visit us in person, or you can find more messages like this one at RedeemerBibleChurch.com. This morning's scripture reading is Psalm 90. A prayer of Moses, the man of God. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting till everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, Return, O children of man. For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like a grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins, in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So teach us to number our days, that we may get a heart of wisdom Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants, and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us, and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, Establish the work of our hands. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Let's pray together. Lord, you are our refuge and strength, and we trust in you this morning. Be our teacher now as we come to your word, and teach us how finding our refuge in you means no evil can befall us. Steady our hearts this morning by your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This past week, Krista, Lily, and I returned to my childhood home in Wisconsin, and there was a moment where my mom turned to me and asked me to go to the grocery store. And it's like I just took a step back in time 10 or so years. I don't know if you've had a moment like that when you return to your childhood home, but all the memories sweep back. Like C.S. Lewis noted, speaking of home conjures up images, a way of life with all of its sights, sounds, smells associated with your home. You know, our earthly homes orient us. They provide a shelter for a somewhat painful world outside. And as we come to another year, it looks as though our society is more divided, scattered, and rootless than ever before. It's like we don't know where we are anymore. We've lost our sense of place, as one writer says. The foundation is no longer under us, and we face what we think is times of uncertainty. That'd be a good tagline, maybe, for 2020, times of uncertainty. And so we need a place to rest, you and I do, a place to find security, to find meaning, 
to find where we belong and a place to be that we, where we can be safe uh, with who we truly are. Friends, you and I need a base, a home that will last forever, a home that will never let you down. And amid the changing times around us with turmoil, loss, and weakness, we need a home. And the truth this morning is you can have a home, a lasting home, which is why I want to look this morning at Psalm 90. So if you're not there already, I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Psalm 90. This psalm is likely the oldest psalm we have. We heard just a moment ago it's written by Moses, and it's famously paraphr- paraphrased in the song we just sang, O God, Our Help in Ages Past, written by Isaac Watts. Although one pastor noted this week I was reading, he said he left off all the hard, difficult bits. And we'll, you'll see that as we go along. Often the psalm, this psalm is used at funerals which is actually kind of interesting because the psalm, we'll see, is, has more to say to those who have their life ahead of them than it does for those at the end of their lives. This prayer of Moses touches many themes that intersect with our lives today. It contrasts God's greatness with human smallness, divine grandeur with human frailty, and God's permanence with life's brevity. And although we don't know when exactly it was Uh, composed, we know that God's people had been afflicted. It could be in Egypt or in the wilderness. God's people had endured chastisement, God's discipline. We see that most clearly in verse 15, if you just look down. Verse 15, make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us. And it's written to those who have no earthly place to call home. You know, God's people have always been exiled, and today we find ourselves as exiles. This world is certainly not our home. It's not safe, and it's not lasting. It's passing away, and it's filled with suffering and hardship. And in light of this, we want to consider Psalm 90. For Moses tells us that God's people have always had God as their dwelling place a home in the midst of pretty terrible and transient times in Egypt and in the wilderness. But the same is true for us today. God's people have a lasting home. Do you believe that? God's people have a lasting home. My hope this morning is for all of you, whether or not you've experienced pain or suffering or the cares of this world are weighing down on you, that you this morning will experience great assurance as you enter another year. And then I admit that as we study this, the road will cross over some of the grimmer realities of life. But I want you to know there is hope in the end. And it's hope not only for 2020, but for years to come. What I want to do is I want to consider this psalm by asking three questions about our lasting home. The first question is, what is it? The second question is, why do we need it? And the third question is, how do we get it? Why do we need it? Or, what is it? Why do we need it? And how do we get it? First question is found, the answer is found in verses 1 and 2 there. And that is, what is it? 
Moses gives us the answer, and the answer acts as a springboard or the basis for what he's going to say in the rest of the psalm. And where does he start? He says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place. You've been a dwelling place or a home for your people. And Moses provides two building blocks, the building block of God as home and then the building block that God is eternal. So let's look at those in turn. The building block that God is a home. So the Lord is our dwelling place. That means he's our habitation or our refuge and shelter. The idea throughout the Old Testament, if you've heard it before, is that it's, we are in Yahweh's abode, meaning he is a place of safety. We are under the shadow of his wings. And he's not that just for this moment. He's that in all generations, he says. What God has done and what God has been in the past serves as a pledge or a guarantee for people in the future. Now, the word he uses at the beginning, you see at the beginning of verse 1, the word Lord, is the word Adonai, or Master. And that draws out that we are God's possession. That is, we are his to do as he pleases. We serve and submit him. So he says, Adonai, you've been our dwelling place. So in turn, Moses says, God is our dwelling place. In other words, he is at home with God. He is our lasting home. Now, what do we mean by lasting home? Well, I think we'd be helped to consider the context of Psalm 90 just for a moment. And the context from two angles. One, it's place in the Psalter, and then another, it's historical context. So this psalm, you notice right above, if you're looking at the ESV, it's the beginning of book four. Book four of five books in the Psalter. And this book, which goes to, verse, to Psalm 106, uh, carries the idea of trusting God in exile. Book three ends with God's judgment and punishment on his people. His people are feeling the heavy hand of God, and they're crying out to him. Look over at Psalm 89, verse 46. Psalmist says, How long, O Lord, will you hide yourself forever? How long will your wrath burn like fire? God's people face shame and mockery by their enemies as they mock and say, Where is your God? But they turn to the only hope they have, and that is their God. Now, from a historical perspective, think about Moses writing this. The children of Israel had no fixed dwelling. Abraham was called out of his homeland. And then Isaac, Jacob, and now they go to Egypt, and now they go, they're in the wilderness. And they've had no fixed dwelling. And even as they enter the promised land, we understand, looking back, that they weren't at home even in the promised land. Hebrews 11 tells us that they were actually longing for a better country, a country that is a heavenly one. Their hopes were in God, their home. You see, God is an oasis of refreshment for his people who are in exile. And when we come to the New Testament, we find that we too, as Christians, are exiles. The New Testament calls us sojourners, strangers on earth. And Christians are described as having two homes in the New Testament. A home in your locale, like Colossae or Philippi. For us, you have a home in Minnetonka or uh, Plymouth or wherever you live in the metro. 
and you have a home in Christ. So as we read this first verse, we should sense uh, the wonderful truth of our union with Christ. He is our home, and we abide in him as believers. So that's the one building block. God is our home. The second building block is verse 2, and that is God is eternal. God is eternal. He's our eternal home, as Isaac Watts put it. Again and again, the Bible's answer to our needs lies not in us or in our world, but they lie in God himself. So Moses leads us to the rock, the character and greatness of God. Look at verse 2. Before the mountains were brought forth or ever you formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You know, it's amazing to me that, I, that there, I have serious people, friends of mine, who are serious around uh, our city that say the solution to our problems lies in ourselves or maybe in our environment. And I was struck with the words of Kevin DeYoung this past week that he says the problem with this thinking is if we're really honest. If we're honest, we don't always like what we find. When we look inside ourselves, we're people who are wrestling with one another and wrestling inside ourselves. The answer is not in ourselves. In fact, Moses says the opposite. God is outside of time and space. You see that with verse 2, right? He was here long before creation. I mean, he says before the mountains, the, the most immemorial thing, the things that are very old, even before them. And then he says he'll be here long after Creation is long gone. He is from everlasting to everlasting. This great God, beyond what we can truly fathom, is our eternal home, our lasting home for believers. So this seems significant, especially in light of what Moses goes on to say. We'll see in just a moment. Moses doesn't shy away from the tough parts of life. But if you and I are going to face the difficult parts of life, in this coming year and years to come, we're going to need a lasting home. Life with all its uncertainty, its shortness, failures, and death. We ask the question, how can we bear these things? It's impossible for us just to handle them all on our own. Now, it's important to point out at the outset of this psalm uh, that in order for you to say that the Lord is your dwelling place, a reconciliation has to take place. What's very clear is Moses is a believer, and he's writing to other believers. In order for us to say, Lord, you have been our dwelling place, we have to have peace with God. We have to find our home with him in the first place. The reality, as we will see, humanity has rebelled against the creator God of verse 2. It's denied its creator and faces the penalty of that rebellion, death. And without Christ, you are hostile to God, and thereby you cannot be at home with him. You need to make peace with God, and peace with God means you can only make it on his terms. And that is that you submit to him as Adonai, and you turn from your sin, and you trust in his son as the only way to find lasting peace with God. Now, all of us have to consider the foundation of our lives. You know, this, the uh, change in years always allows us to have an opportunity to reflect. 
And I, the question I want you to think about is what are you building your life on? What's your home or your base? What hope do you have that you'll actually change in 2020? Your hope for 2020 is not in yourself or your resolutions or your goals, which will most likely not only last a few months. It's in God. It's like the parable Jesus tells the man who built his house on the sand. You know, it doesn't matter how good your goals are or your resolutions if you build them on sand. And then there's another man who builds his house on a rock. And what this psalm points out at the, at the beginning is that many of us have placed our dwelling in something other than God. So instead, let's build our life on a rock, a secure foundation. Let's find our lasting home in him. So the first question is, what is it? The lasting home is God himself. But now the psalmist goes, Moses goes to the second question, and that is this. Why do we need it? Why do you and I need this dwelling place? And that he answers in verses 3 through 12. Verses 3 through 12. The answer to it is because we live in a world under the displeasure of God. That's why we need a lasting home or a shelter. We live in a fallen world. That's, why we, that's what we find in verses 3 through 12. And in these verses, Moses gives us several reminders, indicators that we experience in our world. And if we're honest, we can't really dispute any of these reminders as he goes along. The first one is something we all face. We live under its shadow. And that is this. Death is inevitable. Death is inevitable. Death for each one of us here is in, uh, inescapable. What does he say in verse 3? Look at verse 3. You make mankind return to dust. He says, return, O children of man. This is difficult language for us to hear. Because if you know your Bible even a little bit, you know this is an allusion to what? Well, to Genesis 3.19. You shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The fate of every man is to return to dust. It's not something that we enjoy talking about, but it is the truth. Where else do we see it? Well, we see this reality of death in verse 5 as well, verse 5, where he gives three images to describe the shortness of life, and how we will all be swept away like a flood. Uh, we sleep the sleep of death. Your whole life is like a dream or like grass that withers. And he says in verse 7, we are brought to an end. All our days pass away. Our years end like a sigh, verse 9. At the end of verse 10, he says, we are soon gone. We fly away. What a serious reality. Loss in this life is real, and all of us must face death. That's the picture we see here in Psalm 90. And this is the first symptom, as we'll see, of the anger of God. And that's why you and I need a lasting home. Sadly, we don't need illustrations of this. Just a couple of weeks ago, I heard about a 13-year-old who was struck by a train and killed up in Coon Rapids. It's tragic, 
But it's not uncommon. It's not an exception. You you listen to so many sermons and you hear um, illustration after illustration of life ending. Now, our church family has felt this reality this year. And the point is, we need real hope to face these realities. And that's what the Christian faith offers. For when you have roots in God, you can make sense of what's happening around you. You can make sense even of your own inevitable death. Now, for unbelievers, I wonder what, you, what hope you really have. Have you considered that this life will one day end? Or do you just ignore that reality? The reality that Moses is getting at here and the reality that all of us face. But he doesn't just stop there. That's not the only indicator he shows us. The next one is he says, life, the life we live is short and it's filled with frustration and futility. So I told you we're going to get through the tough bits, but there's hope in the end, so stick with me. We're all very concerned with time, aren't we? Time is significant to us. That's why if you travel over to Israel or Italy or you go to Ireland, you're impressed with what? These buildings that have been there over time. Time impresses us. And time is important to us. That's why we all have watches. Or the clock function in our phone is one of the most obvious things on your phone. Because time is important. Yet, none of us ever have enough time. I mean, how often do we hear, man, I'm so busy, I wish I had more time. Or during the holidays, I just always am, am struck with this. When you're with family, it seems to go by so fast. You find yourself saying, oh, how time flies. And the truth is, we are all trapped in time. The clock keeps ticking, and we do not have the luxury of stopping time. And we never get quite enough of it. And today, we have more disposable time, supposedly, than previous generations, with electric lights and the speed of travel. And even think about our Israel trip coming up. You can travel Jesus' three-year ministry in less than seven days. Or you can go through Paul's missionary journeys in a week-long trip. And yet, we all admit we don't have enough time. Now consider that in light of verse 4. Moses says, For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past or as a watch in the night. Now you catch that? God is not trapped in time. He's actually outside of it, and he doesn't view time like we do. A thousand years is like a day when it's over. It's like yesterday. Or as Israel split their nights into four-hour watches, a thousand years to God is like a four-hour period in the night. Now just think for a moment of Methuselah. So Methuselah is the oldest recorded uh, human. He lived 969 years. That means that if he died this year, he would have been born before the Battle of Hastings, which happened in 1066. Or just consider I googled what happened in 1019. You know, the only thing I found that happened in 1019 was a guy by the name of Knut became king of Denmark. That's it. 
Like, that's all we remember from a thousand years ago. And yet to God, that's like it's yesterday. That's what Moses says. Thought about what does that mean about God? Well, it means, first of all, he's not impressed with time. But it also says a lot about us and the importance of time. It's not so much, our, the importance of time is not so much in its length, in the, in the many years. No, it's in its content. It's what you do with the time that you have. And even so, Moses says, life is short. Look at verse 6. It's like grass. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. That's for us, you may not catch this, but you live in an arid climate where the grass actually sprouts up in the morning, nowhere to be seen, sprouts up, and then it dies as evening comes. That's what he says your life is like. It's like James using mist on a, on a lake, you know, Lake Minnetonka, the mist on the lake. It's there for a moment, and then it's gone. That's your life. Life is short. Do you feel that? Not only is it short, but human existence is fraught with frustration. Look down at verse 10. The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. It's like he's pulling out his Ecclesiastes side. That speaks to frustration and futility, and it's linked to the bitterness of a short life. Now, this cer- certainly uh, hits our church family close to home. I mean, how is it that a 40-year-old woman passes away in the prime of her life to, in a battle with cancer? Or why do parents have to bury their children? Or how is it that God takes a new believer away right when she's starting to experience joy in God? Our lives are short, but even if you live 70 years, or if you're especially strong and you live 80 years, the span, what is that? That's the prime of your life. For the best years of your life, all they are are toil and trouble, Moses says. Well, death and frustration, they're problems for all of us. But interestingly, they're not our biggest problem. You think how heavy that is. He gets to our biggest problem. And what Moses does is he addresses addresses this by saying something like this, or asking a question like this. Why do we live, why do you and I live in a world like this? Why do we face death? or the death of those close to us? Why is life filled with futility and frustration? Why is it that when you 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 pull out your, your car with your grocery bags, why is it that they break? And when you're trying to open the door? It's apparently one of my biggest frustrations. Why is it that sometimes it seems that God is against us? He gives the answer in verse 8. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. What's set before God? It's our sins. The answer to the question of why the world is the way it is is found here. 
And the answer lies in the fact that we've rebelled against God. We reject God. And it's because of this rejection that the whole world, our whole existence, is plunged under the wrath of God. He says five times he talks about God's wrath and his anger. Why do you and I face the grim realities of life? Moses says it's because sin, the sin that mankind, because of our sin that mankind is subject to the wrath of God. Now, it's important to note that he's not necessarily talking about individuals here. As I've considered this psalm, I've come to the conclusion of what he's talking about when he talks about God's anger and his wrath. Is he's talking about mortal man made in the image of God but rebellious. And he says, you are consumed by God's anger, verse 9. The reality is that due to man's sins, we are enemies of God. The one thing to consider, not only that if we are hostile to him, but he is hostile to us. That he has placed the world under the curse. And it's under God's anger since Genesis 3. And it touches all of us. So think of it. It's the common effects of the fall. So it's the opposite, maybe this helps. It's the opposite of common grace. And it's illustrated by death. Death touches everyone. As the popular musical says, death doesn't discriminate. So believers and unbelievers are living in a world that is fallen and broken, and as a result, we all face death, frustration, and sorrow. Death stands as a universal shadow that reminds everyone of the devastating effects of sin. And he asks a great question in verse 11. It's a key point for him. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? He's saying, who considers these things? I think it's a rhetorical question. The answer is nobody. Nobody considers these things. We hear a lot about the God of love. We talk a lot about the God of love, and that's certainly true. God is a God of love, and we should, but he's also a God of anger. The world has no answers for this. Nothing in the world really satisfies at this point of making sense of the futility and the death all around us. So when we're in this point, we look to outside of the world, we look for a lasting home. And unless you run to God, you have no hope at explaining what's going on in our world. And the truth is, when we get to this point, we, we, we need something. We need wisdom. And we cannot consider the power of God's anger unless God reveals it to us. So that's what he says in verse 12. So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. So we run to God as the only one who can teach us the meaning of these things. Why do we need a lasting home? It's because without it, we cannot number our days. That a prayer is, this prayer is not so much to calculate how many days you have left. But it's a prayer for wisdom to know how to spend the days you have left. Teach us to number our days. How many days you have left in the light of God's anger. Because none of, no, nobody has gar tomorrow guaranteed. So teach us to number our days.
I wonder if you've considered what this psalm is teaching, especially if you're here and you don't have a relationship with Christ. Are you considering these things? A believer in Jesus, the Bible says, does not have to face God's eternal wrath. We don't have to face uh, eschatological wrath, wrath to come. But if you're here, you're under the wrath of God if you've not put your faith in Jesus. And then consider, does my life even make sense? What happens when I die? The world's solutions to that, they're not satisfying. I think of the man Jesus talks about in Luke 12. The man says, I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God says to him, fool. This night your soul is required of you, and the things that you have prepared, whose will they be? Now, how is this encouraging as Christians? Well, because when God chastises us, we know he's doing it for our good. Not only that, the Bible gives us the ability to make sense of the suffering around us. We do not have to act like our lives are pain-free. We can be true to reality. I played college football. um, We played a team down in Missouri um, that was a Christian science college. I don't know if you know much about Christian science. And I remember we would be playing football, and I mean, a player would actually be physically hurt on the field. And they would, like, gather around, and they'd say... Stuff like, the pain is not real. It's just a fantasy. Um, It's it's not, just, it's all in your mind. You can get up and you can walk. In fact, they didn't even have the ambulance. You have to have the ambulance parked, you know, next to a football field. They didn't even do that. They had it parked down the road. Well, that's, there's nothing Christian about that at all. And you see that in this psalm. The Bible, that's not true to reality. The Bible doesn't call us to be in denial. So I hope, I wonder if you feel the hope in this. Perhaps for the first time, you can begin to make sense of the suffering around you, that it is rooted in the fall, and it's going to be restored. But its restoration, which we're going to talk about next, only comes if you have a lasting home. All right, so what is our lasting home? It's the Lord our God. Why do we need it? Well, we live in a fallen world. And the question we want to answer is how do we get it? How do you and I get a lasting home that will will help give us strength and security for years to come? The answer to that question is in the final verses, in the prayers that we're going to look at in just a moment. And these prayers, they provide for us the answer to the question, how do we get it? We get it by running to God, by trusting in him. As I was studying this, I was reminded that Martin Luther, who uh, was the great reformer, he rediscovered justification by faith in Romans, which sparked the Reformation. 
But actually, before that, he was starting to get a real picture of God by teaching the Psalms to his students in the monastery. And it's in his preface to his work on Psalms, preface uh, to his work on Psalms, that he says that the Psalms, they not only teach us about God, you know, in the Psalms, not only does God speak to us, but in the Psalms, we speak to God. In other words, the Psalms give us the language in order to help us speak to God. And I think that's what verses 13 through 17 are for us. These verses provide the language of vocabulary on how you and I can make God our dwelling place, our lasting home. And we do it by praying these prayers, not just with our lips, but in our hearts and experiencing God in prayer. So I want to look at the, the, to finish up, I want to look at the three final prayers of this psalm. And if we pray them, we will find God our lasting home. The first prayer is a prayer for mercy. We find that in verse 13. He says, return, O Lord, how long have pity on your servants. This contrasts and uses the same language of verse 3. And it's a cry to the Lord to return. And that's what we pray. For if God is a God of anger, and that's what he's been saying in this psalm, he's not only a God of love, but he's a God of anger. If that's true, our only hope is for his mercy. We need his mercy. And so he prays, return. We know that death is the end. We know that that sin leads to God's displeasure. I mean, the people originally hearing this psalm would have known that. Traveling in the wilderness, a whole generation wiped out. But their hope is in God's mercy. How long, O Lord? How do you and I make God our lasting home? It's by praying that he will return to us, that he'll come back to us. That's a good definition of mercy. Come back, O Lord. It's God coming back to us, those who have rebelled. The world is a horrible place, and sometimes it can seem futile, so we need him to return and set things right. It may be that you find yourself here away from God. Perhaps this prayer should be on your lips. I want to encourage you today, ask God for his mercy. Say, Lord, have pity on me. Have pity on us. It's interesting he says, how long? That's something interesting in a prayer, uh, in a psalm that's all about time. You know, we know we don't have time, so we cry out, how long? We need God to act. I think this is Christ- something that Christians always feel. We don't want to waste our lives, so we pray, how long, Lord? Please have mercy. And that's the first prayer. The first prayer is a prayer for mercy. The second prayer is a prayer for joy, and that's in verses 14 and 15. He says, satisfy us. Satisfy us in the morning with your covenantal love. That's a love that will last. Verse 9 talks about things that are not lasting, are coming to an end. But the love of God is lasting. He is a lasting home. And the result of that love poured out on us is joy and gladness. Moses knows that it's God himself that brings joy and gladness. 
And he adds this prayer at the end in verse 15. Make us glad as many days as you have afflicted us and for as many years as we have seen evil. So if you're here and you've experienced dark days, facing much sorrow, you can't wait to close the book on 2019. But yet, at the same time, you're not sure if 2020 is going to be any different. Take this prayer on your lips. Make us glad. Satisfy us. Be satisfied in God alone. He will turn your sorrow into joy. It's Augustine who said, You made us for yourself, and our hearts find no peace until they rest in you. You know, holidays are a great reminder when it comes to satisfaction. It never ceases, again, to amaze me that time with family goes so quickly. It's not really satisfying. You can't grab it and hold on to it. And really, you know, for all your children, those gifts really aren't that satisfying. There's really no joy without God. And that's the second prayer, a prayer for joy. The last is a prayer for favor, and that's in verses 16 and 17. The word favor is a beautiful word. It means sweetness or delight. And I think this is the culminating prayer of this psalm. We know that death is inevitable, and we wish we had more days because we have so much to do. And we want our work to last. What do we need then? We need the Lord's kindness. We need his favor to rest upon us. And then he says, establish the work of our hands. Establish the work of our hands. With the shortness of life, the inevitability of death, we're attempting to do something worthwhile in our lives and as a church. But the cards are stacked against us. Unless we have God on our side. If we move ahead with any endeavor without the Lord, what hope is it? What good will it actually do? But with the Lord, it will be accomplished. He alone gives the value to our work, establish the work of our hands. How do we get a lasting home? That's by praying a prayer for mercy, a prayer for joy, and a prayer for favor. Now, do you want your life to have meaning? Do you want meaning in the midst of the frustration all around you? Moses gives us the vocabulary to deal with the futility of life. Establish the work of our hands. Do we want our church to do great things for Christ in 2020? Do we want people to come to Jesus in 2020? Do we want to be a part of God's work in the world? Be a blessing to others? Let this prayer be on our lips. Establish the work of our hands. If God is our helper, we have nothing to fear. And who can stand against us if God is for us? This is how we get God as our lasting home We pray these prayers. Psalm clearly states that God is a lasting home. We looked at what it is. It's God himself, why we need it, the fallen world around us, and how to get it. It's through trusting in the Lord 
in prayer. As we complete this chapter and enter, enter 2020, we look back and sometimes wonder how we made it this far. And we ask ourselves how we're going to endure this coming year. And our only hope does not rest in ourselves. It rests in a place of rest outside of us in a lasting home in God. That is the only hope we have. It's a hope for 2020, and it's a hope for years to come. Let's pray.